ready for true happiness, for deep fulfillment, for feeling alive, on purpose, and in control of your life again, it's time to be the bold, brilliant, beautiful woman you were born to be. Welcome to the Purpose Girl Podcast. I'm women's happiness and life purpose expert, Karen Rockhind, and I'm going to teach you how to live on purpose, feel alive, and be happy in every aspect of life. I'm going to get real about my life and interview women who are living on purpose so that you can finally live yours. Welcome to the show. So when I was a little girl, my parents used to say that they got it right the third time. And what they meant by it is that I was this perfect child, smiling all the time, happy all the time, got super great grades, had tons of friends, et cetera, et cetera. Ran for student council, was cheerleader. And though I was super flattered to be called the perfect child, to know that they got it right the third time, I even felt better than my brother and sister, which is a totally different topic for a podcast, which we will do another time. I don't feel that way anymore. It created this huge amount of pressure on me to constantly be perfect, to never want to try something if I thought I was going to fail at it, to be terrified if I got a B or a B plus that maybe somebody was going to find out that I wasn't as smart as they thought I was, or if I wasn't good at ice skating, for instance, even though I loved it, loved it, loved it. I dropped out after a couple of years because I wasn't perfect at it. I wasn't the best at it. And I felt like in order to maintain the status as the perfect child, I had to be perfect at everything. And so I strived. I strived my whole life. It's probably why I got married at 22 to the quote unquote perfect guy and tall, good looking, handsome, blah, 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 blah. And this drive for perfection, though it probably made me happy and successful as a child, ended up making me miserable. And so I have been on my own perfection detox over the last 10 years, really trying to get hold of the story. And what I am discovering, what I have discovered is this is one of the major reasons why women are so much more depressed than men, why women are so much less happy. We are on this constant strive for perfection. And it's not like social media is helping us at all, right? Everyone else looks to have a perfect life. And so we're striving. And it's not making us any happier. And it has to come to an end. And my guest today is the perfect, quote unquote, I say that kind of tongue in cheek, the perfect person to help us with this. Petra Kolber is a leading happiness and movement expert. She has been featured on multiple, multiple news stations on CBS, Shape Magazine, Health Magazine, TEDx, FX, Fox, NBC. And she has been through her own journey of having, quote unquote, the perfect life, where she was working with Nancy Kerrigan and George Foreman and Reebok and Adidas and Gatorade and seemed to have it all. I mean, she has been called the 2016 Canadian Fitness Professional International Presenter of the Year and the 2016 Sarah City Mania Female Presenter of the Year. She is one of America's top female trainers. She is rocking it. And yet... In reading her book, The Perfection Detox, I learned how much her inner critic, how much her strive and fear of not being perfect was leading to her own unhappiness. And so in her book, The Perfection Detox, 
tame your inner critic, live bravely and unleash your joy. I myself have been doing the perfection detox with her and it has been changing, changing how I think. And so I am delighted to have you on Petra so that we can get to the heart of why we feel this need to be perfect and what we can do about it. Welcome to the Purpose Girl podcast. Mm, Thank you. It is so awesome to be here. Mm. I, you, you and I met a few years ago in New York City and we had this awesome coffee date and it was so much fun. And obviously we had just met. I don't think I knew your whole journey and your whole struggle with perfection. You know, in, sitting in front of me, here you are, this gorgeous woman with a rocking career. You've had tons of exercise CDs out there and back in the day, VHS tapes and, <laughs> you know, on all these news channels. But perfection has really been a struggle for you your whole life. Yeah. I mean, it's so funny. Even that meeting, Karen, you were so gracious. And I think a f- mutual friend had connected us. And even at that point is this whole comparison. Like you say, we have this outward persona where we show our best selves to the world and there's nothing wrong with that. But often the, the gap between who we are and who we think we should be um, is very wide and very deep and often filled with a lot of uncertainty and doubt. And I remember you have your master's in positive psychology and I had done a year long certificate program in positive psychology. And even then I'm like, Oh my God, she's so much smarter than me. And in terms of our happiness, I, I mean, this is crazy talk, correct? It I is mean, crazy we, talk. We, but yes. This is what but, we do. I'm yes. looking at you. Oh, she's already been on national media. Oh, she's, already, you know, <laughs> so here we were and we're having, we're sipping tea or coffee or whatever it was and having a lovely conversation. And then our brains were having a totally separate conversation. <laughs> oh yeah. Our brains are at battle with themselves, not with each other. And this is why you had said, you know, we want to live a purpose-driven life. We want to live a life where we can help others flourish and thrive. And yet we often do that. But the person who is not flourishing and thriving is us on the inside. And just like you had said, it's time. It's time for us all to make peace with who we are right now. Mm -hmm. It is time to take that journey inwards and really become our own best friend. And I don't know about you, but I certainly wasn't taught how to do that growing up as a young child. Absolutely not. I mean, I thought I would be my best, my own best friend if I just got all A's or if I just was student council president or if I was just the head cheerleader. That's how I thought I would be my best friend. But then it just meant that there was always something more I could try to strive for. So I would love to hear your story. How did you discover this inner perfectionist and that you wanted to do something about it? Yeah, I think for many of us, I mean, I always say perfection is only a word and until you attach an emotion to it Mm. or a meaning to it, like for you, you know, being the perfect daughter for me is being perfect on the outside so I could hide the chaos of my family life on the inside. And when I was a young child, Karen, I had no idea that's what I was doing. Mm -hmm. Um, My dad was um, a drinker and growing up in a very small town in England, I thought he was, I thought we were the only imperfect family. Mm. You know, going back 20 years later, I recognized every single person on our street pretty much so was dealing with the same problem because that's all you had to do in the evening. (laughs) Once work had ended, the dads would go and drink, they'd play golf. And then this idea of, well, if I'm the only one looking, you know, having this chaotic life, how do I appear to have it all together? And then I moved into the dance world, which only add added more of that, talking about, you know, you needed to look perfect, you needed to move perfectly, you needed to eat the perfect thing. 
And even then I wasn't aware of this silent static, I call it, like the static between my heart and my brain. My brain wanted to appear one way, yet my heart just wanted to live another way. Mm. Again, being British, no one talks about this. So Mm. I think it began when I began to move, move to America. And it really became a highlight. I I went to school and I went to dance school at the age of 16. So I never got the degrees. I never got the masters. I never got the PhD. And that was never an issue for me as a dancer. But when I moved into fitness, Karen, and I think I sound like you had said in in your very kind introduction, I became over time, I mean, I did my 10,000 hours, but over time, I suddenly was positioned as a fitness expert. And somewhere in my mind, I felt to be an expert, you needed to have the masters, the initials after your name. Mm-hmm. So all of us, yeah, like you said, I, all of a sudden I felt ooh, like the imposter, the imposter syndrome. People are viewing me as though, and no one ever said, Petra, we're now calling you a fitness expert. You need to go back to school. No one ever said this, but through a whole you know, myriad of past circumstances, past, you know, moments, I created this idea in my mind that to be the perfect fitness expert, I, Petra, needed to be perfect Petra. And it just began to get bigger and bigger and bigger. And this internal box of, you know, silent promises and silent deals with myself began to escalate and escalate into, um, anxiety. And you, I didn't realize you also suffered from anxiety. And then, you know, what you don't look at and what you don't own owns you. Mm-hmm. Anxiety, you know, anxiety is not pretty. So I pushed it into a little box and it went like, well, you don't push anxiety into a corner, you know, it won't be ignored. So then it manifested itself into panic attacks. And one of my symptoms was full blown head to toe body sweats in less than 60 seconds, I would be drenched. And that's became something I could no longer ignore because I had mentioned in my book, I began to turn down work, great work, like the Today Show, the CBS Morning Show, The View, for the fear of having a panic attack on camera. I never had one, but the fear became so big that I started making my world smaller. And that was my aha moment that this thing I thought perfect was going to make my life great and beautiful and shiny and wonderful was actually making my life miserable. And that was the big turning point. Wow. Wow. I just want to put like, I like putting like a picture frame on something to kind of cement everything that you just said. This is so profound that we're trying to be perfect because we think it's going to make our life great. And it actually makes us hide and become smaller and makes our life miserable. This is so huge. In your book, you call it the doubt demons, which Mm. I circled and I underlined and I starred because that's really what it is. Can you, can you talk a little bit about the doubt demons? Yeah, I think it's this inner, you know, um, Ellen Langer, you know, has says, you know, for, um, for 24 hours, imagine you have a thought bubble outside of your head (laughs) and everyone can read the conversations you're having with yourself. It's these silent doubts, these, this idea, I call it enoughness. It's this idea that the doubt that we're not really enough. I'm not smart enough. I'm not thin enough. I'm not old enough. I'm not young enough. I'm not pretty enough. I'm not sexy enough. It's this enoughness and this enoughness causes these doubts. And it's that whole, like, who am I? Who am I to be living this purpose-driven life? Who am I to be successful? Who am I to be on stage versus in the audience? And it's, it's this idea that we are 
ah, it's these doubts. And I think you said it again in the introduction. It's this doubt of you're going to be found out. Mm-hmm. People are going to find out that I'm a fraud. And for me, it's when we start putting the lens on ourselves and we forget that we're all here for a bigger purpose. And this is why your podcast is so amazing. It's not about us. It's about the work that we're here to do in the world. And these doubts come up when it's not about the work. We're doubting the very essence of who we are. And because it's become such a comfortable piece of clothing that we wear, We don't even realize it's there. And we would never doubt our best friends in the way that we doubt ourselves. And what it does, it doesn't allow us to take action. It doesn't allow us to put action behind our dreams and our desires. It moves us into a position of waiting versus doing, of watching versus being a part of our life. And doubt serves no purpose because hmm. there's no, it moves us into stagnation versus action. Right. And again, I think it just, when we don't catch it, we don't even realize we're in this rumination of, oh, you and you know, I'm spe- you know, speaking to an expert. You are the expert in this world of, you know, positive psychology. What we believe, our brain will take on as true. And I just think the thing about doubt is, it has no direction. Mm-hmm. It just moves us into a spin cycle, and it doesn't allow us to do anything positive with it. But again, it's these silent conversations, these silent mini promises we make. I'm going to, tomorrow I'm going to do it perfectly. <laughs> tomorrow I'm going to be better at. It's like, or just oh tomorrow God. I'll start. You know, tomorrow yes. I'll do the thing. And and it's a way, you know, you talk about, I love what you're saying, doubt puts us in a spin cycle and has no direction. It actually, in some ways, takes us a step backwards because our life is moving forward. Right. It's Mm -hmm. like tomorrow is going to come. The next day is going to come and we're going to stay stuck, but life is going to move forward. So it, it brings us backwards in a way. And it, it is trying to serve a purpose. I like to think of our doubt and fear as our best friend. It's trying to be our best friend. It's like, you know, you mentioned in the book that there's an appropriate place for fear and an inappropriate place. And you mentioned that an appropriate place is if your toddler is walking off the curb, (laughs) that is appropriate. So I try to, I like to think of doubt and fear as the parent in your head or the best friend in your head that's trying to save you from stepping into traffic. The thing is, is that it might've been traffic when we were younger, right? Maybe you looking perfect on the outside. If someone, your inner child, you know, when you were seven or eight or 10 or 15, the fear was trying to ensure that you were liked among your peers and you were thought of as normal and cool and all of that. And if they knew the mess in your house, then they might not have liked you as so the fear says. For me, my doubts and fear were trying to keep me perfect in my household because they thought that that's how I would be loved, right? So mm-hmm. they, I like to think of them as they are trying to be your best friend and they were helpful when we were kids. They're just not so helpful anymore. Yeah, no, I love Atara Brack says fear is only a problem when it oversteps its boundaries. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what happens, Karen. It's like, and like you said, and this is where I think the challenge comes too, because, you know, out in the big world, we're hearing crush your fears, kick fear to the curb. <laughs> and that's impossible. So yet tell a recovering perfectionist, you shouldn't be feeling fear. Oh my gosh, there's just another way. See, I'm not even doing my life perfectly. What I've begun to do now, um, and I think this has been very useful for some of the people I work with, fear for me 
if it's if it's directed in a positive way, fear and anxiety can be a sign that you're about to do something very meaningful to you. Mm. It's but it's recognizing what's under the fear and then what action can we take. So I know if I feel anxious and fearful, it often means I'm about to do something that I really, really care about. And then are there steps or gaps in that fear? Maybe there's a fear that I haven't done the work. Well, then let's look at that and then let's do the work. Let's do the research. Let's go and practice. Let's do the rehearsals. Or maybe the fear is they're not going to like what I'm saying. So let's really look at that. That's unrealistic. And again, you know, we've heard this before. I love this. What you think of me. um, um, What is it? What is it? Leonard, what do you think of me? Oh, I can't think now. It's none of my business. Yes, thank you. (laughs) Thank you. And again, so easy to say, but yet so hard to live. So again, it's just really when we can recognize what is under the emotion, then we can do something about it if we need to. Yeah. One of the reasons I love your book is that it's so practical. I just, it was like, it's, it's 21 steps to detox yourself from perfection. And you can do it in 21 days, or it might take you longer if you're, you get to a particular step and you spend time on it. And I just kept going chapter to chapter, like, oh my God, this is so practical. Oh my God, this is right. So it's like, we're taking it from this kind of larger ethereal conversation of like, well, just like yourself or just feel positive or just get rid of the fear into the actual steps of what to do. And so we don't have to go through all 21 steps on this podcast. Everybody, I want you to go ahead and and get the perfection detox for yourself. But one of the first steps that you talk about is really getting clarity on those thoughts that your brain has, all the thoughts that are holding you back. In fact, you know, you talk about how research has shown University of Southern California research has determined that we have about 70,000 thoughts per day and 95% of them are the same thoughts that we had yesterday. And perhaps even worse, 80% of them are negative. So step number one is noticing, you call it noticing the noise, getting clear on what are the top three of the imperfect kind of bits that you say to yourself all the time. So how do we start noticing the noise and start doing something or getting clear on our thoughts? Yeah, it's interesting. I so wanted to start this book with all the happiness stuff. Like, oh, Mm. let's start. I'm like, oh, I know. But you have to clear out the clutter Mm. to make room for the good stuff to come in. So true. Yeah. And many, some of, well, not many, some of the women I've worked with, Karen, actually, this is a very tricky step for them because these, these thoughts, this noise has been with us for so long. And this is where the damage happens. We don't even realize it's there. And so what I tend to think of is this simple idea of when you notice a thought, does it bring you more joy or does it suck the joy out of you? Mm. Because even with perfection, not all of the pieces of it are bad. You know, there's many pieces of that you strive for excellence. You strive to be a great friend. None of that I want to get rid of. But what, which of my thoughts actually just make me feel less than? And these are the thoughts that often sit on our sh- shoulders They're almost like in our handbag and they've been with us for so long. It's like an old lipstick. We don't even know it's there. (laughs) So the first thing is, you know, and you don't want to, it's this idea of noticing, reflecting with a light touch versus then going, oh my goodness, I'm reading this book. I'm listening to Karen's podcast. I should know better than this. I, you know, this is the part of our genetic makeup and, and I know you know this, but it's again, it's a good reminder 
our brain likes to default to the negative. Mm -hmm. So this does require work. Happiness requires work, but it's work worth doing. So we tend to have top hits and underneath those top thoughts, there's often an underlying one root idea about ourselves. Mm -hmm. this enoughness. And it might be is the underlying the, the fraud idea? Is it that you think you should be smarter? Is it that you think you're not, the, you know, you're not this enough, or maybe you're too much of that? And it's just sitting and allowing yourself to get quiet. And if you suddenly feel uncomfortable or a little blue or a little anxious or a little angry, can you sit long enough to go? What triggered, what thought triggered that emotion? Because nothing comes up without a thought. Yes. But we're often so, yeah, we're often so busy being human, busy, busy people versus <laughs> human beings. beings. Exactly. Human doings. Yes. Yes. Can you just sit and notice what is that thought? Perhaps write it down and see if that, how, how often does that, there's often an underlying thought. It might show up in different disguises. It might show up with a different accent. But I know for me in the past, the underlying thought was, the underlying enoughness was, I'm not smart enough. Mm -hmm. And now it's changed. My new, my new enoughness, because there's always something I should be, am I young enough? Mm. You know, because I'm in my 50s starting a new career somewhat as a speaker and an author. But I'm like, no one has once said that to me. Am I going to allow that positioning thought to take center stage and drive my life forward? But, but now because I'm aware, I can go, oh, it's just, you know, I'm just having these thoughts. I go, like you said, it's trying to protect me in some crazy way. So just say, thank you very much. You know, I don't need you anymore. Put you in the back seat mm -hmm. and then move forward. Yes. I think, yeah, because I don't know if they ever go away completely, but when we can bring a, a light of kindness on them, they have less power to drive our positive future. Yes. Yes. I agree. I don't think that they go away completely. You know, I will work with a lot of women who are like, I just want to get rid of this forever. And I'm like, yeah, me too. And <laughs> what we want to do. Let me know is, how you right, do it. Right, yeah. right, right. And then you have the podcast and we'll switch places. That would be awesome. I want to learn, you know, but it, that's not how it works. These are so ingrained, right? It's like we developed these thoughts as children or when you were a teenager, whenever it might have been, because it was trying to keep you safe. And so it's just still trying to do that. And by the way, these thoughts are not our own. You know, I love this. One of your steps is whose voice is it, right? It yeah. could be dad's voice. It could be mom's voice. It could be ex-boyfriend or ex-lover's voice. It could be a teacher's voice. It could be the media's voice. I mean, women mm. are told constantly that we are not enough. We are not young enough because we're supposed to not have wrinkles and we're supposed to not have gray hair. And we're supposed to, like, what? This is just a natural part of growing older. And, and I'm guilty of it too. Like this weekend, I was getting ready for Rosh Hashanah dinner and I noticed like four new gray hairs. So I had to run around my mom's house. Where's the tweezer? Where's the tweezer? You know? And my sister said, when are you going to start dying it? I'm like, we're not there yet. Okay. <laughs> but it's, this is ingrained. Right. Yeah. And, or like not thin enough. Well, who said we're supposed to be some thin ideal? I like to think about how if you go into any museum, the paintings of women were all full and round and voluptuous. So if you were too thin in those days, you were probably thought you're not round enough. So yeah, it's someone else's voice that we've taken on as our own. And like you said, recognize it, get to the heart of it, 
put it in the back seat. Liz Gilbert says this beautifully in her book, Big Magic. All right, fear, I know you're not going away, so just go in the back seat. <laughs> yes. And you don't I get to drive the car anymore. Yeah. And, you know, I think, you know, with social media and media in general, Ooh. Karen, I often say, you know, they sell to our insecurities mm -hmm. because if, you know, and I say it's time to buy into our strengths because if they told us we're beautiful, we wouldn't need their products. So, you know, it's also not pushing. I try not to push against the media, but how can we prime our brains so we don't take on their voices as our new truth? Yes. And like you said, I, this is work. And this is why I really would love to share with your listeners this is why I, some of the people I love the most, Brene Brown, like you said, Elizabeth Gilbert, they are so wonderful in reminding us, you know, just let go of perfection. And it's not easy. Mm -hmm. I wish it was just something we could let go of and look at and say, okay, you no longer belong in my life. But like you had said, Karen, these are years of tapes, years of voices that have sat in our heart, etched their way into the deepest part of our soul. This work takes a while does work, but you have to work the work for it to work. Mm -hmm. And like I say, you know, I teach this work. I wrote a book about it. I speak on this work. I'm just like yourself. Just this morning I woke up and I'm like, oh my God, I have acne. What is going on? <laughs> so I'm, I'm about to go to the gym and I'm like, oh my God, I normally, I normally put a headband on. How can I put my, my bangs over my forehead? I'm like, Okay, I'm 50. What the heck is going on with adult acne? So there's always something. Always like, something. It's just like always, always it's always right there. Like you said, it's like an outfit we're used to or an old lipstick in, in our bag. And, and I love what you're saying. It takes work. I, you know, one of the, a word I recently heard from one of my mentors, Regina Thomashauer, some people know her as Mama Gina, mm. is that it takes discipline. Yes. It's discipline. And I used to buck against that word because I, I don't know, just thought it sounded icky, but discipline, I'm loving it because it's just practice. It's that our brain, your brain will default to the negative. It's called negativity bias. As you said, your brain will default to the same crap it thought of yesterday and your brain will control you unless you control it. And so that's it. It's just, okay. My brain this morning, I was doing my gratitudes. I wake up every morning and I try to do gratitudes and I think I got out about one gratitude. I'm grateful for my bed. And then there was about a good like three or four minutes of some other junk that came up about all the things I have to do. And I can't believe I didn't get them done last weekend and all this stuff. Right. And so it was like, oh, okay. I noticed that my brain just went off into, as you said, the not enoughness, bring it back to, and fill it with something else, with this gratitude, with something else. It's discipline and practice. Yeah. And like you said, and then not beating yourself yes. up. Recognize that this okay. is human condition. Yes. As women, we're all doing this. And then, you know, here's the great thing. When we treat ourselves more kindly, we then get to look at all the other women around us. And it removes the comparison because it allows us to be uniquely our flawed, fabulous selves. Mm. And it brings this community where we recognize we are all in this struggle. We celebrate each other. And then we get to talk about this. We pull the curtain back. I say, I used to say we connect in our cracks. Now I say we connect in our cracks, but we don't want to hang out there. Mm. So, you know, we connect in our flaws. We connect in our struggles. And yet when we, when we pull the curtain back and recognize, oh, you too feel like that sometimes? Here's what helps me. Here's, And then we can be there for each other. And when things are going great, we reach down and help our fellow woman to come up. And when things are not going great, we have the courage and the grit and resilience to go, I need some help today. And just recognize you're going to have good days and not good days. And that's part of this wonderful and really 
challenging journey sometimes called life. Yes. Yes. This is so, so beautiful and incredible. You're reminding me of the word it's acceptance, right? We, you, we all have permission to be human and accept our humanness, embrace our humanness, the fabulous flaws. You know, the, you talk a lot about acceptance in your book. And the, the second part is all about living bravely. And mm-hmm. it takes bravery in today's world to accept yourself and accept all of you. Yes. And I think this is where the big thing, this is, this is to live bravely. Perfection does not allow you to live bravely because hmm. perfection likes a little box. She likes to, and this is what happened for me. I think Karen, and, and when I was younger, I thought trying to be perfect, I could predict the outcome. I could predict that everyone's going to like me. I could predict that I'm going to get the job. I'm going to get the boyfriend. Hmm. And we all know how well that works. <laughs> so the perfection doesn't allow for spontaneity. It doesn't allow for creativity. It doesn't allow for curiosity. It doesn't allow for failure. So how can you live bravely, perfectly? You just can't. So like you had said, that first part is just recognizing the noise, clearing out the clutter, which takes work. And it doesn't always happen in a, in a sound bite or a bumper sticker. And then you start to root in the goodness the, from the positive psychology world. And that allows you to shift your focus onto all that you are instead of all that you think that you're not. And living bravely, you know, it's not the absence of fear. I think it was Mark Twain. It's like courage is not the absence of fear. It's that learning to work with it alongside it. And like you say, Elizabeth Gilbert, put it in the back seat. And mentioning Elizabeth Gilbert, one of my favorite quotes of hers, and I actually used it to close my TEDx talk, was um, perfectionism is just fear in really good shoes. <laughs> I just love that. Like, I love that. Oh, that's so, so great. It, that's hilarious. Now I have this picture of like these beautiful red shoes for some reason. Um, it, and one of the things you said, it's interesting, you know, that drive to be perfect, it may have gotten you your first job, but it probably wasn't the job that you really loved right? Brave might have been going for a job that wasn't quote unquote what society or your parents thought was perfect. And so you talk a lot about in your book, you know, how many times you said no. And you mentioned this Mm -hmm. earlier in, in the podcast that you, Petra, were saying, you said no to the view. You said Mm -hmm. no to the Today Show. I mean, things that were, I'm sure like on vision boards of yours, you know, (laughs) dreams. And you, you say this, this really hit me. You say, you were talking in your book about how you had been saying no so frequently and that with each no, another piece of my self-esteem was being chipped away. Oh my goodness, woman, Petra, that, hmm. st- it just struck me at my core because I noticed that whenever I say no to an invitation, no, because I'm afraid people, a big thing for me is that people won't like me. That's like my core my core thought. What? You're the yes! most likable woman on the planet. Well, everyone wants to be, but I get this. And, and just to, and just to go on the back of that, Karen, and I'm sure you, you speak about this too. There is nothing wrong in saying no. I think no is the, a really powerful thing for us to learn how to say, but why? What's the why behind the no? Is the no, I'm going to say no to the, to the event because they might not like me. I'm going to say no to being in the picture because I'm not feeling, you know, my best. I'm going to say no to the date because I'm feeling fat. Those are not 
powerful no. Those are, you know, not good no's. Mm -hmm. You can say no, I can't do that right now because I just don't have the time. That's a good no. We have to say no if it's to help ourselves, to protect our time, to allow ourselves to be our best self in the world. But if we're saying no to who we are, mm -hmm. if we're saying no because we're saying no to ourselves in a way, then let's look at that. Yes. And, and saying no for you to the view when it mm. was a beautiful, wonderful opportunity for you to live your purpose. Sound, sound like it was one of those unhealthy no's that you were you know, doing it. And I know you write about this because you didn't feel good enough about yourself. And for me, thank you for saying that about me. It's so, isn't it funny <laughs> what we think of other people and what our own brains have created um in our minds. And so for me saying no, let's say to some sort of party invitation or a networking event, because the fear of they won't like me, I have really shifted that. But I used to say no, when I noticed that I would say no to those kinds of experiences, mm -hmm. that a small, it felt like a small piece of me was dying or dampening. Mm -hmm. And that's why, and that's it. That's how you can know, is this a healthy no or an unhealthy yeah. no? I think it's when, you know, a healthy no is when your head is in alignment with your heart and there's no static. Your heart will say no. And it will say no. <laughs> when it's an unhealthy no, there's going to be like a buzz. Your heart will always tell you when it's an unhealthy no. So when you're, when you say a positive no and you know it's in alignment with your values, your purpose, your life, your heart and, and mind will be completely in sync with each other. But your heart, like you said, there's that little bit of self-esteem being chipped away because I knew I was saying no because I was afraid of not being the perfect fitness expert. Mm -hmm. The TV shows were never asking me to be that. So I knew my heart was saying, you're saying no to yourself. Mm -hmm. You're thinking you're not enough. You, for example, with networking, I think for many women, networking and socializing can be debilitating because we feel like almost like whom who am I to be of interest to this group? I mean that, you know, who am I to be that? I'm not that fabulous. Everyone else in the room, and I guarantee you, everyone else in that room is really the exact same right. thing. They have their own, their own yeah. thing. And so it's like, one of my things is like, puff up your chest, you know, say, I'll use some positive psychology. Well, what else is true? What are the great things about me? Puff up your mm. chest, get your smile on and not in a fake way of like, yeah. just go have fun, go meet yeah. some people and have, have fun. And I love this because then you get into in, in living bravely, you get into really how we can shift to the positive, right? Instead of ruminating on the bad, you talk about recalling, for instance, your proudest moment, celebrating your strengths. And this is like you're saying, you wanted to start with all the positive, but you needed, you need to clear out the clutter and the junk first. So then we have to really be brave and be proud of ourselves and know our strengths and yeah. live from this place of really what is our heart wanting and yeah. allow that to be a goal. And if you fail at first, try the next time. Yeah. And it's not egoic. I mean, I grew up mm -hmm. being British and they're like, who, you know, you actually not to be, to be proud was actually frowned upon, mm -hmm. but it's not about being egoic. Like you said, it's not about puffing yourself up or comparing yourself to someone else. It's not making yourself better than someone. All this is doing is giving you a foundation for your life that is rooted in the truth of who you are, your strengths versus this flawed, faulty foundation of, and like you said, we're really, we can give you, I could give you a list of everything I think I'm not. And then I ask people, well, what do you know for sure that you are? And they're like, well, what do you mean? What do you know your strengths? And it's so interesting. Like just a really quick example, like in the, like if we look in a mirror as women, 
I guarantee you. I, I hope this resonates. I'm not the only one. If I look in the mirror like this morning, I'm like, oh my God, I, I've got like zits and I'm looking all today. I think it's me. Mm. On those moments I look in the mirror, I'm like, oh, I don't look too bad today. Mm. It must, I go, it must be the lighting. <sighs> oh, yeah. Am I the only one? No, you, know, you so, are so, not. <laughs> this is, no, you are not the only one. This so, is what we've been yeah. trained to do. When it's bad, it's our fault. And when it's good, it's, you know, yes. it's the target had a sale, you know, or whatever. <laughs> and so the, it, we have to really, there is that fine line. I think so many of us as little girls, we were taught, don't speak about yourself. It's, it's not kind. It's not pretty, you know, please other people, just smile. Like we, we weren't taught that just, feeling okay about yourself. I, I like to think of it that before you can get to self-love, you have to have self-okayness, right? That yes. just being okay with yourself is good. It's Let's, good. Yeah. And just look, this life is precious. We have work mm -hmm. to do. Mm -hmm. And I know I have more years behind me now, Karen, than I have in front of me. Mm -hmm. And it's like, I and I still look, I'm still, I'm just being honest there. I, I struggle with, I struggle with this every day, but it doesn't own me anymore. I recognize that maybe it's because I write about it so much and I do the work and I do the research. I just recognize maybe it's because it's in my, my mind space a lot. Mm -hmm. I do not want to go to the end of my life and spend the rest of my days being at war with myself. What purpose does that serve? So like you say, just not even learning to love ourselves, just learning to like ourselves. Let's do it. Now's the time. We've got work to do. And when we can do it from a place of self-like, self-okayedness, <laughs> which is kind of even tragic to say. I but know. I, it's, it's, it's not the ultimate but it's the step. truth. Right. No. Right. Like in the, the book truth. I'm writing. Right. It's like we start with self-okayedness. Then we can move into we accept. Then we're okay. Like you said, then we can like, then we can love. And then yeah. the ultimate is then we celebrate, right? I want I want us all to move to a place at some point of self-celebration. Yes. Yeah. I just had a thought. I'm like, wouldn't it be terrible if on the tombstone it said your last thought and it said, Petra died wishing she had learned to like herself. Mm. Oh my, I'm kind of laughing, <laughs> but isn't that, a I mean, that could be a really interesting, you know, exercise for us all to do. Yes. You know, what is your final thought? And that is on your tombstone. You know, I, I want to go out. She went out kicking and dancing and loving life and loving herself too. That'd be pretty cool. Oh my gosh. Yes, yes, yes. That is the perfect place for us to um, come to a wrap because that is it, Petra, right there, that we do not get to our gravestone. I mean, what a powerful, powerful image that is of what do you want on your gravestone and do you want it to be all the things that you say so mean to yourself and all the ways that you're trying to live up to some sort of Insta-perfect, you know, Instagram-perfect ideal or what do you actually want? others to say about you. What do you want to say about yourself? And I love that kicking and screaming and dancing and loving life and <laughs> loving herself. Me too. And the, the time is now we, we are needed. You know, I am convinced that it is women loving themselves that is going to change this world because as we love ourselves, our children will feel it. Mm -hmm. Our communities will be impacted. Our politics will change around the world to one that is more compassionate and loving and connected we will see more women rise into different positions of power in corporations in in life and women loving themselves is at the heart of it. And that is why women's happiness is so important. Petra, you are incredible. I cannot thank you. Thank you. Thank you enough. So one of the things I like to do with all my guests, Petra, is like a quick purpose power play round. 
And I'm just going to ask you, oh, oh yeah. Okay. A little, you know, I didn't, I didn't tell you where I was going to ask you these questions. So it's okay. just going to be a okay. couple of quick questions okay. and whatever's the first thing that comes to your mind. Okay. Okay. Yes. All right. Other than your own book, which is fabulous. I'm telling everybody, get it. The Perfection Detox by Petra Kolber. And of course is in the show notes. Other than your own book, what is one book you've read recently that is a must read? Oh, you know, one I always go to, it's not a new one. It's The Four Agreements by mm-hmm. Don Miguel Ruiz, just because it's short and it really just reminds us of how great little lessons that we can implement in every single part of our life. Yes. I love that book. I, as soon as you said that, my shoulders just relaxed, my whole body relaxed, <laughs> right? Like don't take things personally. That's my favorite of his agreements. Okay. Yes. Number two, one thing you do in the morning or at some point that's like a daily routine for yourself. Oh my gosh. <laughs> I mean, I'm trying, like, I'm trying to perfectly like no, add more. No, perfect. qu- no, I'm trying to, trying to really, um, read something every day that is not related to work. So I try to drop into like a nonfiction or mm. even like a little magazine or something that's not related to work. And also really I'm trying to add making sure I get outside. It sounds crazy because I live in New York City. So every day if I'm not in the gym or I'm not at a workspace or I'm not at a meeting, I'm trying to get into nature, either the river or the park. Um, even if it's whatever, hundred degrees or two degrees, mm-hmm. because nature just brings out the best in me. And it helps me remember that there's something much greater than myself and my own worries at work in the world. Oh my gosh. I love that so much. Nature does the same thing for me. It's like, oh, th- there is this, we're all part of something so much bigger and there's such natural beauty and there is no tree that doesn't have a knot and doesn't have, ba- you know, sideways mm-hmm. branches and, and yeah. quote unquote, imperfect or fabulous flaws. Well, Petra, it has been my honor and pleasure and delight to have you on the Purpose Girl podcast. Everyone out there, um, where can they find you, Petra? Um, well, you can find more about the book at perfectiondetox.com and also my own personal website, Petra Kolber, K-O-L-B-E-R.com. And you're going to want to check that out. And Petra speaks and does workshops all over. And so you'll want to go onto her website, find out where her workshops are going to be, get the book. I have been loving it and doing it. And it's as a recovering perfectionist myself, it is so, (laughs) so, so important. And so thank you, Petra, for being here with us on the Purpose Girl podcast. And for all of you who are listening, thank you, thank you, thank you, as always, for tuning in, for listening, for being a part of this community that we are building to change the world, because we are changing the world. One woman becoming happier, one woman loving herself, one more woman living on purpose will change the world. So if you loved this podcast, if you loved this episode, please, please, please rate it five stars, review it, tell everybody about it. Most important thing you can do is if you have women in your lives, and we all do, who are also recovering perfectionists or who need to move into the recovering stage, um, share this podcast episode with them. That is how we are going to change the world is the more you share this information with the women that you love, then woman by woman, we will be making huge impact. For more, of course, uh, on me and get your free Living on Purpose guide, and you can find out more about Women's Global Happiness Day, which is coming up on October 18th. You can go to PurposeGirl.com. Of course, join the Purpose Girls Facebook group every week. I post different inquiries for us to connect and for you to think about your life. And you can find me on Instagram and on Facebook, Coach Karen Rockhind on Facebook and Karen Rockhind on Instagram. So great to be with you all today. Thank you for listening. 
May you live purposefully. May you love yourself. And may you love life. Bye for now.